it's Monday. That means another Religious Studies Project podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, David Robertson. And I'm Christopher Cotter, and both David, myself, and the Religious Studies Project are presented to you in association with the British Association for the Study of Religions. Indeed. Today's interview is with Jenny Butler, and it's by our good friend Christopher Cotter on the subject of Irish paganism in the 21st century. I think I'm just going to let that drop. Take it away, please. Take a quick glance at typical religious studies curricula in schools and higher education institutions, particularly those guided by the logics of the world religions paradigm, and if you're lucky, you might just come across a passing reference to paganism buried amongst extensive references to Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and other, quote, world religions, unquote. This absence contrasts markedly with the fascination many of my own students have shown towards paganism, and with the prevalence of motifs which might be labelled pagan in Western popular culture. Arguably, both the seeming academic disregard and popular fascination with this topic are indicative of a superficial understanding of the broad range of phenomena to which the designation pagan can refer. Today, we're joined by a scholar whose work has made a significant contribution to fleshing out the category. Dr. Jenny Butler is a visiting lecturer in the Studies of Religion Department, University College Cork, and a member of UCC's Marginalised and Endangered Worldviews Study Centre, or MUSC. Her research interests include contemporary paganism, new religious movements, death studies, and Irish popular and folk religion. She's published widely on the topic of Irish paganism, and is currently working on her book entitled 21st Century Irish Paganism, Worldview, Ritual, Identity, which will be published by Ashgate. And today... We're going to be discussing Jenny's work on paganism in Ireland, the impact of that particular context upon the paganisms she has researched, and hopefully some of the issues associated with the academic study of paganism in general. So first of all, Dr. Jenny Butler, uh, welcome to the Religious Studies Project. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, listeners should probably be aware that I am experimenting with a Skype interview uh, for the first time, so... Apologies for anything that uh, might go awry, although my fingers are crossed. Um, so before we get started, and this is a very broad question, but we can't just dive straight into um, your own research without first discussing what we might mean by paganism. Um, our listeners may be familiar with uh, a previous RSP podcast with uh, Ronald Hutton, uh, which I'll just flag up, um, which focused largely on his book, The Triumph of the Moon, A History of Modern Pagan Witchcraft. Um, but particularly, Jenny, within your own work, what are we meaning by this very broad term? Um, well, paganism is, it is a very broad term. It's an umbrella term for uh, different kinds of nature-based religion or earth-centred uh, spirituality. Um, and the different kinds of paganism in, in paganism itself and in pagan studies are referred to as traditions or paths. And some scholars uh, use the term paganisms, plural, as you mentioned there, uh, to reflect the diversity of the different traditions. Um, but I've chosen in, in my publications and in discussions of my work to say paganism, uh, as this is the term that the pagans um, use in a self-referential way. So I, I think if scholars are going to use paganisms, plural, they should also perhaps adopt the terms Christianities, Judaisms and so on. 
as you know, the, the, the mainstream or world religions are, are not monolithic either. And there is, for example, under the umbrella term of Christianity, there's Roman Catholicism, Orthodox Christianity, the different Protestant traditions, popular or syncretic forms of Christianity and so on and so forth. So that's another reason why I use the term paganism. And because my research is ethnographic, I, I take heed of the internal definitions um, you know, to try and avoid imposing labels if possible. So um, my research focuses on, on Druidry, Wicca and other forms of pagan witchcraft um, and also participants who self-identify as pagan generically uh, without affiliating themselves with a particular path. So the traditions I'm researching each have their own history and I'm examining their manifestations in contemporary Ireland. Um, and to examine those manifestations, uh, I look at what characterizes the, the pagan worldview or belief system and how that worldview is expressed through ritual and other activities, uh, such as the creation and use of material culture, for example. And I'm also looking at um, art and uh, how, you know, the, the more imaginative means of expressing uh, worldview through artwork. So um there, there are many different forms of, of uh, neo-paganism or contemporary paganism um, globally. And in, in Ireland, there's, uh, for example, there's heathenism, uh, shamanism and diverse forms of Celtic uh, spirituality. So for me, as, a, as an ethnographer, it was necessary to, to limit the analysis to certain traditions or paths, types of, of contemporary paganism um, to give it a thorough uh, portrayal of the, the worldview and activities. So um, at the outset of the, the research project, Druidry and uh, witchcraft, um, including Wicca, seemed the most uh, visible in, in Ireland. So I decided to focus on those. So um, my fieldwork involved interviews and participant observation with solitary practitioners, which are, are people who are not members of ritual groups. Um, also the, the groups, so that would be covens, which are, are ritual groups of witches, and groves, which are uh, ritual groups of druids. Wonderful. Um, so we'll get to that uh, fascinating research very shortly. But just, um, And obviously I don't want this to turn into a, a kind of paganism 101, because as you, as you highlighted there, we wouldn't just do a, a podcast on Christianity and be like, introduce Christianity right now. Um, <laughs> But uh, the 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 issue of relating paganism to to the category religion is, is perhaps something that uh, our listeners might be quite interested in. So you know, how does paganism fit with that category? Is it a religion? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, th this is a much uh, debated topic. I think um, paganism can't strictly be defined as a religion because. There's not the uniformity of beliefs and prescribed practices as found in in, in the major faiths. Um, many practitioners feel strongly that paganism, paganism is a religion or that specific um, traditions or paths, the, the Druidry or Wicca, for example, are religions. But, um, you know, there, there are many differences and uh, there's obviously the difference between um the, the internal view, the, the practitioner view and the academic view. Um, many pagans feel that the term pagan should be capitalized, for instance, when, when it's written as it denotes a specific religion. Uh, so it should have a capital letter in the same way as Christianity or Islam, for you know, 
Um, and paganism is generally defined as a nature religion in, in, in pagan studies. So um, in terms of what characterizes it, uh, it's been variously described as animistic, uh, pantheistic or polytheistic. So it, it depends on how you're defining religion. But paganism is not a faith-based religion. And while there are things, um, kinds of beliefs and specific practices that are normally characteristic of paganism, the specific beliefs and practices of one practitioner can include all or none of those features. So it can be quite difficult to kind of um, put it, put strict definitions. So it's important uh, to convey the diversity within paganism and the fact that there are different spiritual paths that can vary widely in terms of belief and practice. And there's also there are also eclectic pagans who merge different contemporary pagan traditions together, as well as incorporating other elements, sometimes from other cultural contexts. And it's important to say as well that some practitioners say that paganism is not a religion for them, but rather uh, is a philosophy or a lifestyle. So their belief system informs how they live their life, but they don't regard they don't regard it as a religion. So, you know, the, even within paganism, there's debate about whether it's a religion or not. Um, I think that many people, pagans and otherwise, regard religion as something different from spirituality. Associate the word religion itself with uh, institutionalized religion. So Wicca um, might be the exception here in that it's founded as it was founded uh, as as a mystery religion, and on initiation, uh, one becomes a priest or a priestess of the Wiccan religion. So for Wiccans, um, that might be a different conversation. But uh, in general, paganism has no official status as religion in, in Ireland anyway, and it's decentralized and, you know, there's no churches or temples in the sense of, of, of monotheist, monotheistic religions. Uh, there is um, the Temple of Isis, which is in Clonigal, uh, but that belongs to a specific organization, the Fellowship of Isis, which is a, an international goddess uh, worship organization. Um, so paganism you know, this um, the umbrella, the umbrella term of paganism, there's no central authority or official clergy as there would be in the monotheistic religions. Uh, so they don't have official spokespeople in the media, for example. And also it's not, it's not a text-based religion. So there's no equivalent to the Bible or the Quran. Um, and there are texts that might be sacred to individual pagans, like, like a book of shadows for Wiccans, um, but there's no text uh, with a, an ancient provenance that contains rules to live by or anything like that. So paganism is a, is a religion with no dogma. There, there, I mean, there are general ethical guidelines and beliefs, depending on the specific tradition, but there's no dogma or a written creed. So um, due, due to these issues, like that paganism is not officially recognized as a religion in many countries, comparable to the other religions and the way that little is known about uh, demographics or, or distribution patterns of practitioners across the population. We don't, we don't know the things about paganism. We don't have that data um, that we would have for, for other religions. So there are a lot of issues there with, with strictly defining it as a religion. Absolutely. Um, and in every definition, there's a, there's power plays and politics. Um, listeners, um, are also directed to our interview with uh, Suzanne Owen, where we specifically spent pretty much an entire interview discussing uh, definitions of religion relating to 
Druidry in the UK. Um, so before we uh, get then to paganism in Ireland, uh, just uh, from your, your own work and your own research, if, in, if uh, listeners are interested in sort of following up and getting a sort of paganism 101, as it were, are, are there any core sources to which you'd direct them? Um, well, I think the, the, the Pomegranate, which is the International Journal of Pagan Studies, uh, that's a peer-reviewed interdisciplinary journal specifically on the study of paganism. So that's that's quite a good resource. Uh, my research publications are all about paganism in Ireland. So they're listed on my profile on University College Cork's website. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to give people copies of articles and things like that uh, if they'd like to read them. And depending on, on the cultural or geographical context that people are interested in, um, you've mentioned Suzanne Owen on uh, Druidry. There's, there's Graham Harvey's work on paganism in the UK, uh, Jenny Blaine's work on heathenism in the UK, uh, Sabina Magliocco, um, she's written on witchcraft in the United States. There's also Sarah Pike's work on, on paganism in, in the US. Robert Wallace has published on contemporary shamanism. And you've Catherine Roundtree's work on witchcraft in New Zealand and uh, paganism in Malta as well. And she's re- recently um, published a collection, an edited collection called Contemporary Pagan and Native Faith Movements in Europe, Colonialist and Nationalist Impulses. And there are various contexts examined uh, in, in that collection. Um, the history of paganism has been examined extensively by Ronald Totten. I know I've already interviewed Ronald, so it depends on the the area of, of interest and the the geographical uh, scope. I suppose there's there's research done, of course, in Eastern Europe and and so on. Wonderful, and um, we'll we'll maybe we'll certainly link to your um, institutional page and maybe some of those from the page accompanying this podcast. So. You have alluded there to um, the particular different sort of geographical and national dynamics in it that might affect the, the the way in which paganism is. Um, I was going to say is manifest, but then that that brings up sort of sui generis uh, notions. But you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> so turning to uh, to paganism in Ireland, then um, I'm going to ask, which was one of your your research questions for your. PhD, I believe. Just what characterizes the Irish pagan worldview? <laughs> okay, well, Irish pagan worldview can be characterized similarly to pagan worldviews globally, uh, that most practitioners understand um, divinity as polytheistic. So, most Irish pagans that I've interviewed believe in deities and, and spirits, uh, and m- most also believe in magic. Uh, or, you know, and practice magical rituals. And many would um, identify as animists. So you have that, um, that that's a, a central uh, aspect of, of Irish paganism. Um, Irish paganism, uh, people, uh, the practitioners have a specific relationship with Irish cultural heritage. Mm. Um, and this can be seen in the way that they select certain sites on the landscape as, as ritual loci, how they relate to mythology and how they view history. Um, so the, like the global phenomenon of, of pagan, uh, paganism, um, it adapts in, in form and content to different 
cultural milieus as as all uh, religious traditions do. Um, so in the Irish milieu, uh, the beliefs and practices are informed by the vernacular cultural context and uh, the indigenous religious traditions, as well as by um, what's understood to be Celtic heritage and the, the pre-Christian past. And the cultural setting shapes the worldview of Irish pagans. So things like the Irish language, um, the, the the natural environment, the sacred sites uh, and mythology and history, as I said, they all have a, a bearing on the construction of, of pagan identities. So all of these cultural threads lend a feeling of you know, authenticity and a sense of place to contemporary pagans. Um, and my my uh, PhD was in folklore and ethnology, so I'm you know I'm quite interested in in the use of tradition and uh, identity construction and and people's relationship with the past and heritage and so on. Mm. Um, so I'd be really keen if we could focus perhaps on on the the place of Ireland. Um, and obviously we don't want to, to reify Ireland here. You know, there's a lot of stereotypes people might have. Ireland as a particularly spiritual or mystical place. Ireland as a, as a Catholic context, um, that kind of thing. So we, we aren't wanting to, to reify it. But um, you mentioned there Irish language. You mentioned the sort of Irish mythology and pantheon. So maybe you could draw out a couple of examples that, you know, of... of this specifically sort of Irish form of paganism. Yeah, um, I mean the, the the landscape and the mythology and the language are all interconnected in, in very complex ways. So the the landscape, which is maybe uh, one of the most important things for for pagans, the land uh, as both a, a physical location and an ideological sacred space. Um, it's it's an important. Uh, nexus between many different aspects of, of pagan culture. So the, the sacred sites are the locations for, for rituals and also gathering places for festivals and other events. And in Ireland, you have um, the Hill of Tara in County Meath, for example, and um, Newgrange, which is also in County Meath. So there was the, the sacred centre of, of Mead, M-I-D-E. Uh, it was the, the fifth province mm. in ancient Ireland. So uh, a lot of the, the the highly significant sites are there uh, in that sacred centre, but also um, things like megalithic monuments, um, stone circles and so on are, are important to, to lots of different groups and individuals. Um, and uh, the sites and the landscape itself are believed to be the dwelling place of, of local spirits. So the she or fairies and other uh, magical entities and also the source of divine um, where you can encounter the divine or, uh, you know, commune with, with the deities. So the land is the symbolic fabric that connects contemporary pagans with uh, ancestral peoples who were considered practitioners of the same nature-based uh, religion. Um, and the natural uh, world's sacred status is the motivating factor behind um, much environmental conservation work. And uh, I've also covered the um, the uh, the pagan uh, protest to the the M3 motorway being being built um, through through part of uh, Tara. So, um, you know that the, the land is extremely important, and the the sites and the landscape are connected to the mythology stories. So, mythology is is another uh, extremely important resource for for pagans in both their their discourse and their ritual practices. 
Um, the deities of, of mythology uh, for, for pagans are real entities um, that are venerated through ritual. So myths uh, in, in this sense are, are sacred narratives and they aren't just stories about gods or heroes um, as they might be for, for non, non-pagans. So many pagans make reference to mythic symbols or they tell mythological stories as having uh, some relationship to contemporary, you know, real life events and interpret their experiences uh, with encountering the divine um, during ritual. So they consciously engage with mythology and they select uh, symbols from, from the corpus of myth uh, that might have spiritual significance for them uh, personally. So uh, some believe that the, the old gods uh, of Europe um, have, have an independent, well, the, the old gods, that they have an independent existence um, on the spiritual realm that they endured through time and that, uh, you know, people can communicate with them today. Um, but not, not, not all pagans believe that. Uh, some believe that mythological figures represent archetypes. So archetypal forces that can be, you know, uh, evoked in, in ritual contexts. So mythology is the main source material for information about deities and other beings, as well as insights into ancient culture. Um, so, you know, in terms of the, the Irish Celtic pantheon, um, it also gives insights into uh, not only what, you know, what ancient people believed about um, deities, but also insights into ancient culture. So despite the fact that Irish mythology was recorded after Christian Christianization, so you have this uh, Christian veneer um on the stories, uh, the um, the ancient, you know, the the motifs and the symbols are still there. So you do have so- something recorded, and um, that's a that's that can connect people today to to that past. So some forms of modern paganism identify as Celtic uh, traditions, um, and th- they define this as as venerating deities only from the Celtic pantheon. So some Irish groups only venerate Irish gods, goddesses, and the she or the fairies. Um, so it, it, it varies according to the, the groups or the individuals in question. Some people might include only Irish deities or gods connected to the Irish land, uh, while others will look more broadly at, at the Celtic uh, pantheon of, of, you know, of Europe. Um, so tied to the mythology and the land is also the, the, the language. Yes. And uh, there are um, issues with language uh, and identity. So, um, the, you know, there are pagans who are native speakers of Irish and there's others who, who've learned to speak Irish because they feel it's important to, to speak the, the language uh, in ritual. Uh, there are others um, who who don't speak Irish, but they might include some. They've learned some phrases, for example, that they they use to invoke uh, deities because they feel that that's the language that the gods would have, or that the gods speak um, or understand. So uh, some um, some people believe you should go back further to Old Irish. So. Uh, Consequently, they try to learn um, Old Irish, even if it's in terms of if, uh, some phrases 
to uh, address the deities. Um, and that there are uh, some debates about the use of language um, in in ritual particularly. Uh, but again, the, the, this is tied to mythology and the, the, the place names uh, and so on. Um, and the, the pre-Christian heritage uh, is, you know, it's, it's quite complex for, for pagans everywhere. Um, and in, in, in the Irish context, uh, there's maybe less information on the pre-Christian uh, than elsewhere uh, because of the way the mythology was recorded. Um, one of the biggest sources is archaeology. So uh, obviously it's quite hard to tell from archaeology what people might have believed yes. and like the detail of the belief. Um, so the pagans generally tend to, tend to view the past in a, a selective way. And there's a tendency to focus on idealizing certain parts of history while excluding elements that are just to be Christian. Uh, so they're excluded and there's, there's a more romanticized version of the past. And the kind of popular uh, notion of the Celtic comes into play here a lot because um, documented facts at times can be pushed aside uh, in favour of a more mythic history or a more romantic um, idea of, of the past. So that the correlations that, that pagans make between ancient religion and their own practices are, are often intended to be evocative of certain um, religious ideals rather than suggestions of, you know, historical continuance. Uh, for instance, um, the way uh, that many modern Druids use the term grove. I mentioned that to you at the start there as a, as a ritual group of Druids. And that's a way of linking to the past because the word grove can also be used in the sense of a woodland grove, like a copse. And in pre-Christian Ireland, uh, the, the word that was used, um, the Latin uh, was nematon, which means a forest clearing as being the, the, the location for Druidical practices. So, you know, even the use of the word uh, grove uh, for for groups of modern Druids uh, practicing their religion connects um, to sacred woodland, the idea of, of um, you know, this ancient sacred woodland. And that has an emotional value um, rather than uh, suggesting a historical uh development of druidry from 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 ancient times so sometimes it's more um emotional or uh a spiritual connection rather than the historical um and uh you know druidry is is an example of of a revivalist tradition um because it makes claims to to native cultural heritage maybe more more so than than wicca um because wicca originated as a, as a british uh, initiatory tradition. So it was imported to Ireland, uh, you know, in the 1970s. So um, Wicca, the, the histories are different, obviously, um, but Wicca has also taken on um, local inflections or local flavour in, in Ireland. So to, to suit the, the cultural landscape and um, there's the tradition of Celtic Wicca. So again, that would be this kind of a Celtic tradition that um, 
where individ, individuals of the, the, the covens uh, would, would only venerate the, the Celtic deities or the Irish deities. So a, a prominent notion um, in, in pagan discourse is the, the continuity of magical beliefs and practices through the ages. So you also have connections with, um, uh, maybe not with ancient times, but with pre-modern Ireland or, uh, you know, the, the native traditional Irish healers, for example, like the wise, the wise women and the cunning men of folklore. So folklore um, collections are, are another big resource for, for pagans um, in, when it comes to the, the cultural heritage that they're, they're connecting with. Um, so. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to have to jump in and um, sort of, we're, we're almost out of time, um, which is fantastic because we could clearly just, I could just push a button and listen to you for um, probably hours talking about um, paganism in Ireland. Um, but, and, and obviously listeners are, are very much directed towards um, your research to, to find out more. We, we've just been able to give a very tantalizing introduction there. But um, just as, as we come to a close, you were mentioning there the sort of uh, revisionism and, and how Irish pagans might trace their their history and, uh, and, and notions of historical continuity, etc. Um, in terms of the, the place of the study of paganism within the academy, um, quite a it wouldn't be inaccurate to say that uh, it's maybe not been as, as respected as um, it might have been. It certainly in comparison with uh, more quote established world tradition, world religions unquote. So yeah, what's the, what's the, uh, what's the intellectual context like for, for, for studying paganism? I, I believe that you, you're perhaps, the first person to, to give this serious study in Ireland? Yeah, uh, as far as far as I know, yeah, I'm, I'm the, the only one who, who's done longitudinal uh, research on, on paganism uh, so far. Um, in terms of the, the intellectual context, I think it's similar to elsewhere. There were uh, a few hurdles to overcome, uh, not least um, that of getting my MPhil proposal accepted by University College Cork. Uh, where the Academic Council evaluating proposals, in fairness, uh, were open, open-minded enough to see the value of, of scholarship in this area. So I, re- I received uh, a Government of Ireland scholarship in the Humanities and Social Sciences from the Irish Research Council uh, for, for my doctoral research. So um, that funding body had the, the foresight to understand the, the cultural value of, of such a project. And Pagan Studies is even now... Um, a peripheral field within academia, and uh, back back when I proposed the project, it might have seemed rather out there <laughs> as an idea. And um, so, you know, it's really good that it got got funded, and all the the members of the folklore and ethnology department uh, in UCC were, were extremely encouraging and supportive um, throughout my studies. So, the, so that so that was uh, important as well. You know, the, the departmental backing. Um, and in terms of comparable research, I, I was on my own as a, as a postgraduate student and the, there was nobody else uh, doing anything um, comparable. So it wasn't until I went to um, uh, 
the Belief Beyond Boundaries conference at the Open University in Milton Keynes and uh, the Alternative Spiritualities and New Age Studies conferences back in 2003 and 2004 um, that I saw uh you know, that there was a growing subfield of religious studies called pagan studies. So that, that really helped. Um, and uh, there wasn't a comparable conference in Ireland until 2009 uh, with the alternative spiritualities, the new age and new religious movements in Ireland. So that was held at uh, the National University of Ireland, Maynooth. Um, so the research area has been been moving uh, more slowly here. Mm. And, and of course, as, as has come up um, in other podcasts, we'll listeners should be aware that even the academic study of religion is, as we would know it is quite nascent um, in Ireland as well. So it's, it's great to have your pioneering work within that uh, sort of growing and nascent academic um, context. Um, just to, to finish up then, um, as most scholars of religion will be familiar with it, when we engage in study, the, the study can have an, an impact upon uh, the, the groups um, that we're studying. Have you, how have you found interaction with the, the pagan community in Ireland? Have you been a, aware of you know, interpretations of your research, how it's been received? Um, how, how's that been? Um, well, it's been overwhelmingly positive. I, I, I give my uh, articles to my research participants to read, especially where, where they've been quoted. Um, so I know the community is aware, aware of my, my work. Um, but because my research is ethnographic and not historical, I don't think it would have the influence of, say, Ronald Hutton or other historians and archaeologists um, on the on the reconstruction of, of paganism, so I think I've had more impact in that I, I'm known as a folklorist. So sometimes pagans and and other people as well uh, ask me about specific traditions, like festival celebrations, or they ask about other research projects that I've done, like on on fairy belief, for example. So in that way, there might be snippets of information being incorporated in someone's ritual somewhere, but I I can't really know that. Uh, for sure. And I claim to be the only influence as pagans, as, as, a, as a demographic, tend to be very well read, um, particularly about paganism and the history of their own movement. So uh, I think that's a unique characteristic of paganism globally. Um, but I think uh, the impression I get is that they're, they're happy that um, the, the profile of paganism in Ireland is being uh, raised. Um, and uh, you know, people have been very helpful to me and, you know, I, in doing interviews and uh, when I was doing participant observation and so on. So it's, it's quite a positive um, response. Excellent. And uh, obviously that will be, um, that impact might be hopefully significantly increased with um, your, your book that's on the way. Um, what, what else is on the horizon for you? Um, well, I founded um, the Irish Network for the Study of Esotericism and Paganism. So my plan is to organise some workshops and conferences and uh, publications as well, hopefully, in the future, which will raise the profile of, of the area even more. Um, and I'll also be teaching the first ever uh, university course in Ireland 
on Western esotericism and new religious movements. So that might make a mark on the academic milieu here. So we'll see. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'll certainly try and remember to flag those up on the, the page for the uh, website as well. Um, but that's been a, a whirlwind um, interview. Um, it's been wonderful to have you. And uh, yes, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much for that interview, Chris. Another excellent interview and um, very interesting. Nice to have more of our uh, Irish uh, context there. That's a few uh, interviews we've had from Ireland now, and um, both interviewees and interviewers. Yeah, um, and which is you know reflecting also this sort of uh, current move um, between the the British Association for the Study of Religion and the Irish Society for the Academic Study of Religion to to have a you know a, a more a collaborative uh, relationship, um, you know, we're very close both geographically and theoretically. So it, it's great that we're able to feature that. Um, also great that we're becoming a little bit of the Martin Lepage show at the moment. <laughs> um, last week's interview was with Martin. Next week's interview is with Martin speaking with Anna Fideli on religion, gender and corporeality. But also, if you come back later in the week, we'll have a written response to my interview with Jenny Butler from Martin Lepage. Uh, yep, indeed. And I'm looking very much forward to that. You're listening to the Religious Studies Project, of course, just now, but are you a subscriber to our emails? Um, you might not be, either just because you don't want your um, email list, uh, sorry, your email inbox clogged up with um, more, yet more emails. Um, Which is uh, one, of the, one of the biggest blights on the life of an academic or just most people nowadays, I think. Yeah. Uh, perhaps you thought our existing system wasn't sophisticated enough for you, or perhaps you just weren't aware that we actually had an email list. Uh, but uh, Daniel Favand, um, our managing editor at the Religious Studies Project, has done a great job of setting us up with MailChimp. Yeah, which basically means that uh, a few things. One, you get flashy, good-looking emails rather than hastily typed um, monoscript <laughs> emails with HTML and links to various podcasts and all these um, other features. Um, another exciting aspect is that you can choose the degree to which you receive the email. So if you want to get an email um, only for our Monday podcasts, you can do that. If you want to get our Monday podcast, the Opportunities Digest and the responses, you can do that. Or if you'd prefer to get one email once a week as a digest of everything that the Religious Studies Project has put out over that week, you can do that too. And um, once subscribed, you can change these settings at any time. And there are links to do so and to unsubscribe completely in the unlikely event that you want to in each email. Yeah, and so all you need to do to subscribe is go to our website, religiousstudiesproject.com and look for the sort of follow box. Um, you can just type your email in there and then you'll get an email um, telling you all about how to set up your personalized settings. You'll also find details there of our Facebook page, our Twitter account, and our amazon.co.uk.ca and .com links, um, which you can use to support us at no extra cost to yourself when you are shopping on Amazon, if indeed you do. Indeed, and our Facebook feed um, manned or womaned um manfully by uh, Venetia Robertson, our social media editor, is a great place to find out behind the scenes things about the Religious Studies Project, as well as um, the more interesting uh, stories from the fringes of the religious world. And we've just passed 3,000 subscribers. Yeah. 
So it's becoming quite a quite a little hub in itself. Yeah. So that's that's more of the community side. If you enjoy that kind of thing, then then that's a good place to subscribe. Yeah. But um, you know, thanks as ever to the BASR. And there's a final thank you to say is thanks for listening. <laughs>